Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This call is being recorded. This call is your SteelerFury.com podcast. Uh, I am your host, Bradshaw to Ben. Uh, with me to talk Steelers football, as always, is my cohort. And uh, partner in uh, bad uh, eating and heavily uh, intoxicationing. I don't know. I'm not really into the heavy intoxication. But anyway, he is with us. He's uh, He was almost survived this week. His name is FC. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Basically, what you're trying to say is that you can go through life fat, stoned, and stupid. <laughs> Unlike what they say in Animal House. Yeah. Yeah, you can go through like fat, drunk, and stupid. I was kind of heading for that. I was just that I, you know, I felt bad right in the middle of the joke, so yeah, backed up a little bit. Anyway, uh, you're we're here to talk about uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and their, uh, you know, their playoff chances as they begin the week in the postseason. Special postseason edition of the SteelerFury.com podcast. However, I know you want to talk about the man who wears number three. That was your takeaway from the Cleveland game. Ah, Larry Jones, he steered the ship. He didn't sink it. I, I heard that from a smart man. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, he, I wasn't highly impressed and I wasn't highly disappointed. You know, he did enough to, you know, the second half and overtime, you got to be impressed. He made plays. He threw the ball, you know, um, made great throws in the tight windows, uh, overcame a lot of bullshit. Um, some self-imposed, others imposed by some questionable, play calling and some questionable refereeing. Um, the, the Steelers were very inconsistent, you know, offensively and defensively, and I don't think that really should have been laid at the lap of Landry Jones. I think he did a pretty good job. No, I mean, you know, the, the Steelers' defense did not really look like the Steelers' defense throughout the season, but I'll say this. Um, not that it's the only difference in this game, but – you know, this is this looked a little bit the way the defense looked before they decided they were going to play James Harrison and Bud Dupree. Uh, you know, and and before Stephon Tuitt kind of took over the defense, meaning, you know, that was a game without Stephon Tuitt and without James Harrison, it can make a pretty big difference in terms of uh, you know the trickle down effect of of what that does to run fits and what that does for the linebackers. But you know, I mean it. Obviously, a bit more concerning to see a guy like Ryan Chazier have a poor game in terms of attacking and in terms of tackling and so on. Do you think with those guys out, he was trying and, and with people's the other his other teammates seeming to play as if it were an exhibition game? Do you think Ryan Chazier maybe tried a little bit too much over the top to bring his team, you know, back up to the standard? Um, I no, I'm not going to. I'm not, he had a poor game. You, you got to make plays. You 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 want to win, especially starting this week. Can't have it. You, I mean, it's it's something that it's one to. And Ryan Chazier, I understand he's been injured. I understand you know he has some issues. Very least, you got to grab on the cloth, grab onto a body part. Even if you're not going to bring him down, you know you uh, you're going to have a few partners in crime, a stumbling 
to rally to that ball. If uh, you can't, you miss tackles, being trucked, miss run fits can't happen. And uh, you know you got to take the good with the bad. And there's a lot of good from Ryan Shazier: the explosiveness, the splash plays, the ability to somehow make a play whenever you need it. I'm you know I will not forget you know what he did in the Cincinnati game, stripping the ball from Jeremy Hill. You know those are the things that you know I'm hoping for. He seems to want to fucking be a star when the bright the lights are bright. So we're gonna go with that. I'm just gonna say he had a bad mental game. Everybody happens. It happens. To everyone it was game 17, meaningless. And uh, you know, hopefully this week uh, we won't have those missed tackles. That's one of the things that drives me batshit crazy is just the flat out missed tackles and whiffs. Can't have it. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I think. When you when you're playing a bit more on the vanilla side in terms of what your defense is doing, what you're showing the hand the part of your hand that sh- you're showing was kind of vanilla, then tackles become you know missed tackles become everything because if you're going to play basic defense, then you got to tackle. Right. I mean, okay. um, this, playoff games for the most part are the same from 1966 when the Packers started this fucking fiasco and running the last year, you know, the teams that block, tackle, don't turn the ball over, generally win. It's, I, I mean, you, you obviously have to outscore the opponent, but they're, they're, you, you, you can't give the, the game away. And giving the game away is poor fundamentals. It's stupid fucking penalties. It's just it's mental errors, mental mistakes. And I consider, you know, holding to a point a mental mistake. It's a breakdown in technique. That is a mental mistake. Missed tackles, mental mistake. Drop coverage, mental mistake. You got to limit those. You can't eliminate them, but you have to limit them. You go back and you know you can watch Steeler games where you can watch Chuck Noll decide to fucking go for it on fourth and seven because they have Bobby Walden as this punter. You can watch <laughs> Bill Cower go with a naked onside kick, and those are all brilliant plays. You know, you can watch Franco bust a run, John Stallworth make a great catch. But for all those things to happen, you had five offensive linemen that you know picked up the pass rush. You had Terry Bradshaw make an incredible throw with touch, and you had John Stallworth and Lynn Swan go out there and be Hall of Famers. You have Franco Harris, who was East-West Express during the regular season. Come playoff time, he's looking to run over Jack or George Atkinson, a Jack Tatum, you know, a Randy Grant Gratishar. Great players make great plays at big times. How many great players do we have on this roster? How many how many guys truly want to be great? And you, if you want to be great, you can't be mentally weak. And I have a feeling that Ryan Shazier is going to have another superstar game in this in this because I think that he likes the limelight and I think that he wants to be a shining star. And as funny as that sounds, a lot of times those guys blow up one way or the other. Sometimes you have a Terrell Owens who probably have one of the better Super Bowl performances you're ever going to hear about and losing. And, or, and playoffs. And, you know, he's he's a tremendous playoff player. Always, always right. good. I mean, that's why he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think Hines Ward should be a Hall of Famer. I'm sure we'll get into that down, either in this podcast or one in the future. But, you know, mental, Mike Tomlin, you know, with this cheerleader stuff and all that, the measure of a coach is how well you have your players prepared. You put them in positions to win, and then are they prepared to win? And that's what you're going to get to see this week. You know, that's where the fundamentals come out. They come out with 
you know, the top 16 teams in the NFL that gets dropped down to the top eight to the top four, and then you got the best two. And generally those best two are the teams that made the fewest mistakes and they took care of the ball and they, they stay true to what they were all season. They didn't pucker up. You know, I don't expect New England to come out and run the ball 65 or 70 times against us or whoever they play in the first play, or in their next playoff game. They're going to come out, three wide receivers, and they're going to do what they do. You know, yeah. the Steelers, you know, they were a mixing of the zone and blitz team. They can't come out and be the Dom Capers, Dick LeBeau, you know, Blitzburg Steelers. But at the same time, they can't be, you know, dropping into these soft cover two zones, cover three shells, and just letting the offense dictate plays. I love the play. Yeah, I mean, the thing, the, <laughs> the, the thing about, <laughs> of course, well, the, the thing about Shazier and his game, his poor game that he played this week, is or the defense in general, is it's the it was the time to have a bad week. If you're going to have a little bit of a letdown and have a bad week, do it in your meaningless game on week 17 and learn from it and be able to watch the tape and think about what you you know how you have to be better this week in a way that you know it's good. It's just good to get their attention. I think a little bit. Right. Sure. You may not see any point uh, with the with being vanilla. See, I, I mean, it's 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 very true, and the Steelers do it, and and there's other teams that do it. They're paranoia, like the, 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 all the elite teams are always paranoid about what they're putting on film. But in today's game, like everything you've put on film for the, like the last like 20 years is available, especially to other NFL teams. So yeah. I'm more I like to keep offensive plays because there's only so much you can prepare for prepare you know defensively coming into a week you can prepare for 20 40 60 plays tops it's not even 60 plays it's looks and it's tendencies and stuff like that so offensively i can understand being a little bit more guarded than defensively i definitely had the idea in the first half that the steelers were very vanilla and try not to put much on tape then i think what happened is Right around the beginning of the second quarter, Mike Tomlin said, well, fuck, we might get embarrassed here. And the gloves yeah. kind of came off, and the play calling became a little bit more aggressive. There would be a perfect example if anybody says, well, what's really play calling have to do? Look at the first quarter and a half of the Cleveland Browns game, and then watch right. the next, you know, <laughs> the rest of the game in overtime, and that would be an example of play calling, and that would be example. And, you know, I, I, Todd Haley had a look on his face where he's like, all right, one of two things is going to happen here. I'm going to get Landry Jones hurt, or I'm going to get D'Angelo Williams hurt if we keep on doing this simpleton bullshit. And I think wouldn't be shocked that if he approached, you know, Tomlin and Munchak and said, hey, boys, we're going to uh, go back and be a little bit more aggressive. And you could do that with the inexperienced. You had basically all your starters on the offensive line. And your wide receivers are basically running all the same routes, so it's not like it was yep. just something that they were throwing out there. But, no, it was a good, a good opportunity for them to to get, especially that part of the receiving core that that is young and and or you know still waiting to jump. We're waiting for them to really jump forward. It gave them a, an opportunity to do some things. And and while we're on that point, um, it, it's turned into a little bit of a dilemma now. Like it. it a month ago, it felt like we didn't have anybody in the middle between, you know, Antonio Brown and, uh, the, you know, the Eli Rogers, maybe a healthy Eli Rogers. And now it's like this, right. this jockeying for the middle position. You got, you can, I, I can think of honestly something good to say about every wide receiver who's currently on the roster who bring, they each bring something to the table that isn't just fantasy. 
and I could make an argument for dressing any of them or not dressing. I mean, most of them. I mean, I I can't really come up with an argument for not dressing Antonio Brown and Eli Rogers. But beyond that, you know, I I think it's sort of fair play. So with that that being said, two questions. One is, who 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 stepped up the most? Who impressed you the most out of the guys that got an extra opportunity against Cleveland? And what do you think happens for this wide receiver population for this week? The receiver that impressed me the most, and this is a little bit of a cop-out answer, I was pretty impressed with a couple of the catches Eli Rogers made. He uh, he made some hands catches, catches behind him, you know, catches where he knew he was going to get blasted, and he, and he made the plays. Impressive. I liked it. liked it a lot, to be honest with you. Also came away impressed with Ayers. He showed me uh, route running. He can really control a route at the stem, meaning his stuttering goes for real. His luggos for real. Um, he runs beautiful, you know, deep ends, posts. He's a good route runner. He, I, I can understand. He, he's, he's been coached well. He was coached very well at the University of Houston between uh, Tom Herman and the previous coaching staff, which a lot of people forget that that guy at Texas A&M, that head coach there, is a wide receiver coach by trade that really works with receivers, and that's why I think Texas A&M uh, it's Kevin Sumlin, by the way. Uh, Kevin Sumlin from Texas A&M, who brought in Ayers originally into there. He recruited him there, and uh, he moved along to Texas A&M. And Tom Herman, who's now the head coach at the University of Texas, is also a wide receiver coach at heart. And that's why Houston has that good production from their wide receivers. What what guys do I think are going to get a hat? It's not going to make a lot of people happy. Darius Harewood Bay, Sammy Coates are going to get hats based purely on their special teams play and yep. they're great blockers on the bubble screen type game. People aren't going to be thrilled about that. You're always going to have Eli Rogers and AB, and that leaves the fifth one. And, man, you've got to go to Kobe Hamilton. I like Ayers. Uh, the reason why I want him to return kicks is I think that Ayers and Hamilton right now, as fine as this sounds, might be literally neck and neck. But I think they, they trust Hamilton's playmaking ability a little bit more. He's shown more on film. And... uh Hamilton returns kicks, which I really would like to see Nairs do. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, I, 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 Hamilton has a little bit more size to him, but, you know, they're both – not only are they both good blockers in theory, uh, Ayers had a great block on the the, the uh, Le'Veon Bell touchdown from this last week or two weeks ago. Sure. Um, you know, and it's like you can't really – you can't say, well, you know, Ayers isn't as good a blocker, therefore – we're going to play Hamilton, and I, you know, I can't argue with what Hamilton has done. He's 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 made plays. I just think, like I said, I I could see them. I think they probably. I agree with you that the most likely thing is that they will deactivate errors. Um, but I can see. I could make an argument for either one of them. You know, being how about the guy we deactivate two stunt and carry six wide receivers, just two tailbacks. Yeah, I mean it's it's possible. I mean I don't I don't know that. Uh, want Roosevelt I want to... carrying the ball late in the game if you get in trouble. <laughs> but, I, yeah. I, near do I, but if worse comes to worse, I'll go out of the gun and take a fucking knee. Or if it's yeah. close enough, I'll just continue to throw the ball. I mean, it sounds horrible. I don't see you. If we get two back knocked out of the same playoff game, we're in trouble long, long range anyways. Yeah. But but he's also speaking know. of special teams, you know, he's there. He's a special teams component that we don't necessarily have a replacement for in terms of 
the guy that's supposed to be the blocker on the kick returns and whatever. I mean, I'm just talking about you know, the way that they operate. But sure. But yeah, I mean, I think that, Danny you know, Smith catches a lot more hell than he should. Um, our coverage units aren't bad; they're not bad at all. And a lot of times, the return units block it up when we got opportunities. It's just we don't got a guy back there to return kicks. And the funny thing is, is Steelers traditionally, you're going to throw a couple at me, Theo Bell. We really haven't had a ton of great kick returners. Yes, we had Rod Woodson, who was a great punt returner, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. But Frank kicks, Anderson, yeah. Frank Anderson, the late '70s, I believe, was a pretty good kick returner. But Larry, Larry Anderson, Larry Anderson, excuse me, yes. Yeah. I can't think of too many. Yeah, more. not really a not really a position that we've you know. Stephon Logan, you can make an argument, might be the oh, best. Oh, I knew it was coming. I actually had it on the tip of my fucking tongue. <laughs> but I'm just saying, in an era where kick returns were more important uh, than they are now, really. Uh, the Steelers were looking for pass rushers. <laughs> Which yeah. is, in hindsight, hey, we'll take those two Super Bowl titles. You know, thank you, Lamar Woodley. Yeah, thank you, you know, James Harrison. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We'll keep him. Um, well, here's an interesting note on that on that note. Um, if I let me see what's this sorted by. Um, yeah, it, it is. I think. Let's see. Larry Anderson, kick return yards for the Steelers all time. This is not punts. This is kick returns. Rod Woodson is yeah. number one, four thousand eight hundred ninety-four. Larry Anderson, number two, two eight six six. A guy named Lynn Shandwa, Sant Shandwa, who. Only Swiss is going to know him. He, Swiss is only going to know him from reputation because he played 50 to 56. He had 2,700 yards. Uh, Dwight Stone is next after that. Then Will Blackwell, Ernie Mills, Antoine Randall L., uh, Gary Ballman, who definitely Swiss will remember. Uh, Stefan Logan is ninth of all time. And Cannonball Butler is 10th in kick returns. Um, here, I'll give no, you an idea. I can tell you some folks. <laughs> yes, because say, if you have any doubts about uh, what we've been you know, doing lately, twelfth uh, on that list is Antonio Brown, and fourteenth is Ike Taylor. <laughs> nobody, nobody on this, nobody on our board would have been able to guess that Ike Taylor was a top fifteen all-time kick return yardage person for the Steelers. I guarantee you, that was not happening. Uh, anyway, this, this, things you learn while you do the show. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm with you in the sense that I think our special teams. As uh, pro football, uh, or fo- excuse me, football outsiders said the Steelers have basically an average, exactly average uh, kick, uh, special teams play from kicking and punting to coverage units to return units. We are right at the middle of the NFL. I think that's pretty fair. Um, Somewhat. The, Our return units are brutal. Okay, well, what they, I mean, yeah, what they, what they said was, that a mitigating factor in this was weather. The Steelers had the 31st work, 31st, uh, were the 31st, uh, I should say, next to most impacted by weather uh, in all yeah, of their games. And that tends to affect special teams a lot more than everything else. So if you if you factored that in, then the Steelers are maybe even a top five to eight NFL team in special teams. So, you know, so they, they're not bad. They're just not. They're not horrible the way that I think most people think of them. But you know, I, I think I think is I think Boswell is an elite kicker. I mean, I really do. Um, yeah, he went he went through a bad stretch. He went through a bad stretch, you know, 
for Boswell, but uh, a little bit. I mean, but you got to remember that bad stretch. I think he like consisted of two kickoffs out of bounds, and how many field goals has he missed this year? Less than three, I think. I yeah, mean, I just re- <laughs> I just remember that this is our podcast and what we don't really talk about on the show. The special teams, right? <laughs> so we'll, we'll quickly avoid them. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> capable of this? making mistakes. This that's never, that ever ever <laughs> happens to me. I was reading the local newspaper. I picked it up on Monday, and um, there's a big story where it says. Uh, uh, former warrior goes to coaching staff for changes. Nothing about the Steelers, so I go and I read, and it's about Alejandro Venueva goes to Mike Munchak, Todd Haley, and Mike Tomlin. He asked them all for a meeting. And this was after they were beaten, I believe, by the Dallas Cowboys. And it was a Monday. was their day off, and the coaches were, you know, a little bit surprised by it. And he went up to the coaches and said, uh, I cannot make three or four of the blocks that your guys are asking to make consistently. And I talked with Marcus, and he's having similar type struggles. So what Mike Munchak and Todd Haley did on that Monday is they called in the rest of the offensive line, bought them like lunch slash dinner, Never didn't say who paid for it, but supposedly they dropped the bill on Todd Haley. <laughs> and they basically came up with blocking schemes that they all could work with and all could deal with and changed everything right then and there and voiced their opinions on you know how they wanted to block things up. And if there is anybody that ever has a question about Mike Tomlin, there is your answer. There is probably not 10 coaches in the NFL that would have probably trust their offensive line coach, their offensive coordinator, and players to get together and change something midstream. It's so important. Now, it's obviously had a huge effect. The Steelers average, you know, 1.8 more yards per rush or some crazy shit since then. It's just the, 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 the stats are just nuts. But I ne- it gave me a feeling that that's the type of shit that's going to get Todd Haley a head coaching job this year, too, if he wants one. He says he doesn't want one, and I'm coming around to it. I hate his play calling. I, I, I'm not going to lie. But he seems to be pliable to the point where he will take players' input considering they're the guys that got to go out there on the field and execute. And I give big credit to Alejandro Villanueva and Marcus Gilbert for coming out and saying that they couldn't do something because the you know definition of insanity is continuing to trying to do the same thing over and over and sure. having the same result. So sure. how about that? To get us off the ST topic, well, I, something you, positive about the Steelers. True. Um, I'm going to try I, to find – I'll try to find the article. It was – I actually saved the news. No, no, I saw – yeah, I saw it as well. I mean, I'm okay. I, I here's what I think. I think uh, you'll hear me say something really nice about Todd Haley. Um, he would be far from the worst head coach in the NFL. I mean, if he were if he became a head coach five minutes ago, there are, you know, there's a handful of guys that are way worse, right? So from that standpoint, oh, it's not like I, guys are worse. Yeah. So I, I there's no doubt in my mind that he could get a head head coaching job and actually even have some success with it. 
Um, I hey, I think he might be better in that role than than as a play caller. To be honest with you, I wouldn't disagree because the only thing really professional coaching comes down to is dealing with personalities, trust, and discipline. You know, and you don't have to be a John Wooden because if you look at the most successful, we'll just say basketball coaches of all time, the John Woodens and the Phil Jacksons are of one mindset and personality. And then you have another mindset of Greg Popovich and Patrick, Pat Riley, where, hey, we're two military school grads, and we believe in two things, pain and uh, more pain if you fuck us. <laughs> you know? And Chuck Knoll and Bill Cowher come from you know one type of personality group, and they dealt with personalities one way, which the way they dealt with them is their personality was stronger, and they're the alpha dog. Or there's Mike Tomlin that is able to mesh those personalities and work with everybody and have everybody, you know, steering the ship in the same direction, you know? And I think that's the type of personality you're going to need in the modern NFL. And I think that's something that a lot of people overlook with Bill Belichick, you know, um, Bill Belichick will take on these personalities. There's just a line. And if you cross that line, Bill Belichick gets rid of your ass. That's why he's able to deal with LeGarrette Blunt. He gave yeah. LeGarrette Blunt a very distinct line, and if he crosses it, he'll get rid of him. And he don't care who you are. Logan Mankins, you badmouth the organization, you're gone. You know, um, Chandler Jones, you bitch about your contract, you're gone. Randy <laughs> Moss, come on down. LeGarrette Blunt, come on down. <laughs> Julian Edelman is like a thousand, is every bit the diva that Antonio Brown or uh, Odell Beckham ever dreamed of being. Yep. I know that sounds hilarious for me to say. Julian Edelman is the biggest shit talker and the biggest just overall, you know, diva that I've seen on a football field. And you never hear the Patriot way. The Patriot way is we give you boundaries, you step over those boundaries, you're gone. And that's similar to actually the Steelers way. It's just the Steelers still have the wake up, Troy, wake up, Emmett philosophy with superstar <laughs> players. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, there's different ways of skinning the same cat or skinning a similar cat. Um, right. It'd be fun. It'd be really fun, though, to see, you know, the Steelers and Patriots finally get matched up. I mean, it's not going to happen this year, but finally get matched up in a game where they have all their their all their full complement of players, and uh, the quarterbacks are still close enough to their prime for it to for it to matter. Uh, I, you know. It would be for all the marbles. It would be really fun to see that. I mean, you know, the closest we're going to get to that is the 2017, you know, AFC Championship game, maybe. Uh, but uh, they are really, you know, they they grazed each other through this uh, decade, and and you know, you, you definitely give the win on points to uh, to the Patriots. Yep. But it'd be fun. It'd be really fun to see them go like Pittsburgh and Dallas did, more or less full strength head to head. I know that in the Dallas Steelers Super Bowl, two Super Bowls that it wasn't always all the players and so on and so forth, but it would have been it just would be great for legacy of the game sense to see that whole thing. Like I, I would love to have our full complement of players from this year and plus Martavis Bryant and an edge rusher. That's what I put I that up against complement of players. Yeah, what, whatever just whatever you put up Bryant and Cam Hayward back and we'll give them Gronkowski and whatever other player they lost, and right, I just mean it. You know, like that would, and then, and then, like I said, put in, put in Martavis Bryant and Edge Rusher and whatever New England adds in the off season. I just feel like that would be like a 
you know, a couple of heavyweights right there. And, you know, going to be going to be tough enough to beat them based on, you know, getting having to win two games to get to them and also playing them there. So I'm trying to keep my, you know, reality check on it. But but at any rate, uh, the Patriot way, the Steelers way. Um, Let's let's. uh, How about them Dolphins? Yeah, well, I was going to say, let's talk about this week's matchup against your Miami Dolphins. Um, You know, they. They have some problems. The they're they're missing Mike Pouncey, which is a big deal for them in terms of the, you know whatever things Anthony they're trying to Steen do. Dean from Alabama, starting at center, he's very very average. Yeah, and then you know Miller, I think is like a classic backup quarterback for a game or two. He looks good, and you think, wow, this guy's great. He'll he'll be an upgrade maybe over Ryan, you know, Tannehill. And then you know games three, four, five, it's uh, it's hard for a guy like that to to be Ryan Tannehill or better. Uh, so, I mean, that's the, the two major problems they face. Plus, it appears likely now, not that it's the be-all, end-all, but that it will be the coldest game in Miami Dolphins history uh, in Pittsburgh. Let's, let's do it. I always, I always ask you here, you know, in a game where it looks like they're, they're a little bit outmanned, the Dolphins are, and the Steelers appear to be getting everybody back. What will Miami do in this game that will give the Steelers trouble and can give Miami a chance to win. Oh, there's a lot of things they can do. First thing, Miami Miami has the largest group of tight ends in the NFL. Everybody wants to know, why is Jay Ajay able to get the edge of defenses so easily? Well, they have a 290-pound tight end in Deion Sims from the fine Michigan State. And their second tight end is 275 pounds. And da uh, Gray is his last name. And um, they both uh, really can run block. So we're going to start off with um, Bud Dupree uh, and James Harrison have to set the edge. That means no running back gets outside of them. That's the first job. That's the second thing and uh, that concerns me about the Dolphins is Jarvis Landry is not very fast. He's a 4-5-5 guy. Pretty much all of our corners can run with him. Jarvis Landry is very Heinz Ward, Terrell Owens-like after the catch where he goes from wide receiver when he catches the ball to fullback after he has possession of it. He is a tough runner and very hard to bring down. Kenny Stills has elite speed, and for some reason the Steelers managed to dump a coverage or two against him every year. Things that yeah. Stewart fans can take, you know, some solace in is um, Matt Moore does not do very well under pressure. If you give, he's very Vinny Testaverde-ish, meaning if you give him time and a clean pocket, he'll sit there and he'll spin balls all over the field and he'll look like the second coming of John Elway slash Joe Montana. You put a little bit of pressure in his face, all that goes away. I believe that the Steelers are going to be able to get pressure probably with five. And we're not even going to talk about the exotic blitz packages, which the Steelers are going to throw at them. Uh, The biggest thing is for the Steelers is they have to set the edge and win the battles line of scrimmage. There's no reason that J.H.I. should average more than four yards per carry against this defense. I believe J.H.I. is a very good running back. I believe he was a steal in the fifth round. I beg for the Steelers to draft them, um, but keep him in check. I'm not going to put a yardage total. 
four under four yards per carry should be the Steelers' goal coming into this game. If they can, if they hold JGI under four yards a carry, they should win the game. Well, I uh, used to talk about Jarvis Landry for a second. You know, coming out in the draft, I said that the player he most reminded me of was Donald Driver. Now that we've seen a little bit of, of his career, do you think that's a decent comparison? As a receiver, it's a very good comparison. After the catch, he's a little bit more physical than Donald Driver, and Donald Driver was kind of physical. I think Jarvis yeah. Landry is one of the most physical wide receivers. That's why I put him in that, you know, Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward was a motherfucker and a half the tackle after he got yep. the ball because he was so ultra-competitive. I mean, I don't like to compare people to Heinz Ward, but Jarvis Landry is really close to a modern-day Heinz Ward. Some very iffy blocking, very, very high-effort blocking, though, all the time. You know, uh, he's a good player. He, probably he'd be the one player I'd take off their team, and that would shock people. Would People would probably pick somebody else, but I would probably take Jarvis Landry. And hello, say hello to my three wide receiver set of Jarvis Landry, Anthony <laughs> Brown, and Martinez Bryant. I don't, yeah. I don't know where I'd put him on my team, but I might take Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> I mean, right. I've got to find a spot for him to play. Uh, but yeah, I'm right. with you. I, I think he's a good player. And there, there is another, another position where, um, whenever the Dolphins played the Steelers, Tunsil played left tackle. Yeah, uh, Brendan Albert yeah. was out. Um, Albert's back at uh, left tackle. And Tunzel's at left guard. Um, Steelers are going to have to. I mean, it, I expect Hargrave's plays. I don't couldn't think of any reason why he wouldn't. Um, to it, you know, what type of to it are we going to have there out there? Is it going to be you know to it at one hundred percent, to it eighty percent, to it at sixty percent? Yeah, and the you know, thing is, to it and Ricardo Matthews. Because of their injury situation, that's another thing about the number of wide receivers and running backs and tight ends that are going to dress. It's affected by the fact that I think they, they want to have two at dress and they want to start them, and they want Ricardo Matthews to be the first guy off the bench or whatever, or maybe even in the starting lineup. But the problem is you got to have a extra, couple of extra defensive linemen in reserve, sure. either either for when you get up big and you want to take those you know half-injured guys out of the game or if they get re-injured or something. So. It could be that we, you know, you have four wide receivers in the game and knowing that you're going to have, you know, Le'Veon Bell in case you need him as an extra wide receiver or something. Or, or, or uh, Ladarius Green, for that matter, you know, if you need it. Yeah, um, I was impressed with L.T. Walton last month of the season. Um, I think that uh, he brings – he's not as physical as Stefan to it because he's not as explosive to it crazy whack twitchy and explosive for a big man but i think that he could be a very very good player for this team for a long time um and i didn't see that even probably up until halloween of this year it just seemed like okay okay there was just he couldn't put it all together but it it slowly the more he's played he doesn't get tricked anymore he runs down screens, and you're not man blocking him in the run game. Um, Baltimore attempted it a couple times and got a very, very nasty surprise of offensive lining moving backwards and a very quick pace into their bums. Yep. Um, well, yeah, I think this this is a you know this injury to Hayward, uh, although a real setback, 
you know, for the overall chances in the season, I think was a, you know, pretty good opportunity for some of these other guys to get a chance that I, on, in, you know, in all honesty, uh, Hargrave, Tuit, Walton, uh, Ricardo Matthews, even McCullers um, have all flashed a little bit in that time. Uh, and in a way that, in a good way, that makes you think that there's a possibility they can contribute uh, somewhere down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would tell my, I'll give them a, on when it's obviously you know, like third down and 25, I would, there'd be times where I run McCullers and line him up in his tackle and tell him to put the center in the, the quarterback's lap. He can do that every single play that he wants to, especially when he's fresh. He did it three or four times against the Browns and just, You'd have seen like Robert Griffith just like, eh, eh, fuck this, I'm out of here. I mean, he didn't even get to the third <laughs> step and the three step drop. He's like, uh, uh-uh. that ain't falling on me, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, that, and, and that, I believe McCullers ended up with a sack. In, yeah, he sure uh, did. In the, you know? He sure did. Yeah. yeah the nothing... thing is that interior pressure, man. That that makes everything look better. Oh, absolutely. You want to get quarterback happy feet. The quarterbacks can have. They're used to dealing with uh, pressure off the edge. It's, you know, what they're not used to, and that's, you know, pressure right up the middle in their kitchen. That's why, you know, I always scream about guard play. You know, you, you ben, ben's, ben can handle shit coming off the edge, as funny as that sounds and horrible as it sounds. He can still get out and get away from that. There ain't no quarterback that's getting away from, you know, pressure inside the box, inside the tackle box. You just can't do it. Yep. That was a great thing about the, the buddy, buddy Ryan Bear front defense uh, where they would just run like three guys at the center, you know, right. and, like the chances Probably are one three of guys. Here comes Steve McMichael <laughs> and Dan Hampton, you know, and Mike Singletary blitzing behind it. Oh yeah. We yeah. got Wilbur Marshall. So, yeah, yeah. Ch- I mean, chances are one of these three guys is going to get through and kill you. Uh, right. Here comes one of my four Hall of Famers. Right. Like people were talking about like the 85 bears and how smart buddy Ryan was. And I was like, he wasn't like, playing like fucking bums out there. This isn't a no-name defense. It's like, uh, oh, three out of the four guys are in the NFL Hall of Fame and defensive line, and two of the linebackers, or one is and one should be. You know, Dan Hampton is in the Hall of Fame. Richard Dent's in the Hall of Fame. Steve McMichael's in the Hall of Fame. Mike Singletary's in the Hall of Fame. And that Wilbur Marshall guy kind of changed the way the defense was split. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, what's funny about them is – you know, it was a, an era where most teams didn't play their base offense out of the shotgun. That was the thing that made it possible. If you're in shotgun most of the time and you can run out of shotgun and so on and so forth, it sort of, you know, defeats what the what the four six defense did. Um, but in those days, nobody was prepared except for maybe Dallas to do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, or Miami. That was the other thing. Miami beat them running primarily yeah. shotgun. So uh, anyway, but they were man. They for a moment in time there though they were just nobody had any answers for that. <laughs> it's just like that pressure up the middle blows up every kind of play. That's the thing. It doesn't matter what the play call is. It's it's if you're under if you start under center as a quarterback and you get pressure up the middle pushing your center back into your lap. There's nothing works. You know, there's no play call for that. Anyhow, um, so as far as Miami uh, on the other side of the ball gave the Steelers some trouble last time. You know, some of that was, I think, be pretty hard to argue against uh, that it was, I think it was the worst Todd Haley play calling game since maybe his first year here uh, in terms of, I'm not sure, you know, it's like I'm neither sure what he was trying to accomplish, nor do I think he was just trying to feed the run game 
it just felt like uh, both disjointed and purposeless with nothing building off of anything and no answers for what Miami was doing to adjust to, you know, do something better. And then right at the time point of the game where maybe he would change his outlook about what to do, Ben got hurt uh, and so on. But a lot of that disruption in the early part of the game was two things to me, Miami sitting on what Pittsburgh was going to do. So the predictability, and then also their front dominated our offensive line, you know, in a way that the offensive line has eliminated since then. uh, But, really was a problem in that game. So how do we not suffer a repeat of their defensive front stopping us you know, from doing whatever we want to do? What's different about this game other than just that Steelers are playing better and Miami's playing worse? Um, let's see. First thing is uh, I have a feeling that the Steelers have been reminded of that ass whipping that was put on them probably once or twice. Um, Second thing, um, they changed up blocking schemes a little bit. Uh, third thing, um, we have a few other people healthy in this game. Um, Roosevelt Nix is healthy, and David Johnson's healthy. So uh, that's a pretty nice size H-back and fullback coming at you in the run game. Um, Kiko Alonso had a lot of free runs to make plays in the run game. I don't think he's going to have the same amount of free runs. I think he might have a blocker. Uh, you know, 45 sure. on his, you know, on his chest or 85 on his chest. Um, that's there's a, there's another guy you you didn't mention who's healthy now who wasn't been that makes it Darius Green as well. I'm yeah, sure the thing about the thing about Green is those those safeties and linebackers can clog the box with impunity because they weren't really afraid sure. of tight ends getting away from them. They, you know, you can say that the other tight ends we have are a threat, you know, and they offensively and they can do some stuff, but neither of them is the kind of threat that can really get away from them. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Not a problem. Um, second thing, um, you can listen to post-game comments. Adam Gase won his Super Bowl the day they beat the Steelers. And uh, he pretty much let everybody that would listen know that his game plan, his coaching, his preparation of his players was superior to that of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you know what? He was probably right. I think that he was right, and he's going to really pay for being right this Sunday because <laughs> um, I have a feeling that you've not only ashamed the Steelers players, but you ashamed the coaching staff. And that's, that's fine. You, you have that coming to you. But after you do those two things post-game, you really don't want to rub their nose and shit. And um, if you just listen to the Steelers' comments, every single one, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, it's been pretty much, you know, tight lip, tight to the vest. You know, this is going to be a Le'Veon Bell type of game. I watched, you know, the TD and how basically what (laughs) Ben Roethlisberger is coming out and saying is we're going to jam the fucking ball down your throat. We're going to kick the living shit out of you. If that's my coaches speaking, read in between the lines, speak. And, um, you know, there's certain guys like on the Steelers that obviously James Harrison, okay. He's a bit large and kind of crazy looking, but I mean, you don't really, the Patriots way, a lot of people say, oh, Belichick's so quiet. He never says anything. He doesn't want things coming back at him. And that's what's going to happen. So number two was 
number one was players. It's gonna the Steelers' offensive line is gonna have to win. They're not necessarily gonna have to dominate. It's they're gonna have to win. Give them a crack, and Le'Veon Bell will find the crease, and voila. You know you're gonna have to have the secondary blocking, and you know that that that's somewhat where Coates and uh, Darius Hayward Bay come in. We a lot of people don't like hearing it, but sometimes one block can be the difference between a 15 yard run and a 75-yard touchdown run. And a lot of times, you know, Coates and DHB have that physicality to them. Um, Jesse James has improved as a blocker. He's more dissecure, more – he believes in himself a little bit more. That self-belief leads him to just play freely and not think. Um, coaching, you know, I, I believe Munchak and, you know, uh, the, uh, our, our tight end coach, um, we got a lot of pride and, you know, Richard Mann, and this is going to be the last thing. This is going to be Richard Mann's last playoffs. The man has – I don't believe he has a ring, and I think a lot of people would like to get him a ring. Um, well, Richard it, Mann does not have a ring in all this time? I don't think he, I don't think he does. If you go look, because I remember – I know he coached in Minnesota. I know he coached in Arizona, San Diego. I don't think he has a ring. You know, and there's probably not a more beloved guy. I mean, he's pushing 80, might be over 80. You know, it's like Tom Moore, you know, in, um, you know, being over there in Arizona. You know, you can go look that up. If if he does have a ring, I will stand corrected. I don't believe he does. 32 and, seasons as an assistant coach. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing and, if, he, if he doesn't I have mean, a ring. And, I, and the other thing is that you could just bring back the, the, the guys that played for him, if, if if he had a retirement party, let's say he does win a ring, and I bet you there will be probably a lot of guys that could be wearing gold jackets that would show up for that party. You know what I mean? Just, the, yeah. you know, the Larry Fitzgeralds, even beyond that, the Chris Carters, even beyond that, you know, there's a lot, like a lot of guys people forget, like Sterling Morgan that played for, you know, New England that got his career cut short. Guys like that. So... Um, I think the Steelers are going to be very prepared for this. Um, I don't think it's going to be 85 degrees where <laughs> Pittsburgh went down south and melted a little bit. We don't want to hear that, but it's true. It was very humid, very hot that day. Um, and uh, I think you're, you're going to get to see a little bit of the Steelers' pride. Don't forget, that fucking game is uh, going to be in Pittsburgh, and the fans are a little bit loony. They are indeed, especially when it's, you know, it's it's cold in playoff weather. What do you think about a one o'clock Sunday start? Are you liking it, or, or would you prefer the four well, o'clock? I'm, I'm a West Coaster. I don't, you know, I I like the four o'clock a lot better. But but I recognize that for a lot of people, it's the ideal. Uh, and to be fair, you don't have to wait so long for the game to start. Um, but yeah, it's a. I'll take it when I even real, I didn't realize you were on the West Coast. I thought you were still in New York. Well, no, I mean for the, for the game, I will be. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, in, I'm in sunny Boca Raton, Florida, right now. Um, hey, Bob. But but the uh, you know so we're in. I'm in your neighborhood, more or less. Um, the uh, but the for the games, you know, when I'm on the West Coast here, which I will be by Sunday. Yeah, the more that you know, drinking at 10 a.m. that doesn't go over well <laughs> well well to anybody. <laughs> but you know, I'll still give it a go. Um, right. I had friends that were in Hawaii with the, the 5 a.m. drink. It's always fun. Yeah, I was in I was in uh, Anchorage. I was up, but the uh, Steeler experiences, you know, in Europe, which is sort of a little more common, 
uh, and in Anchorage one year. And I think the Anchorage game started at uh, eight o'clock in the morning. I think it was started at eight right. and it's pitch black because it's, you know, it's way up north in the wintertime. So it's pitch black at 8, at 8 a.m. And then you watch, you cut to the games and it's like, you know, sunny and bright. One <laughs> Like mid-afternoon games was really weird. Yeah. But uh, I'll take them. I mean, as far as a postseason game with the Steelers in it, I'll take it any time of day, Saturday or Sunday. I don't care. This is all there good. You go. Um, any other matchup things in this game that we didn't talk about that you want to hit on? We didn't really talk about, you know, like the, the, sec- the, the passing games in terms of, the sets of wide receivers. Is Byron Maxwell uh, going to play this week? Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's what it comes down to for, for the Dolphins. And, you know, Ben, don't throw any interceptions. <laughs> ben, don't throw the ball. You know, no interceptions. Ben, protect the ball. Yeah. I don't think that they have the guys to necessarily. It's it, What it comes down to is the Dolphins, through this winning streak, have played schematically solid. They're, they don't have superstars out there. If they're missing Byron Maxwell, they're just one corner. They're one more corner down. You know, they don't have anybody that should be able to cover Antonio Brown, you know. And if players make players on the ball, you know, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers can basically keep the same formation or same personnel, you know, in the game. And they can do anything from go eye formation to two tight ends, single back, to splitting Le'Veon Bell and going empty and letting you decide, you know, are you going to treat Jesse James and Ladarius Green like wide receivers? Are you going to treat – Le'Veon Bell, like a wide receiver out there, you know. So the Steelers are going to probably, you know, combine spreading them out with, you know, the classic two tight end formations. They may slide in Roosevelt mix. You know, the Steelers have absolutely no problem using nine or ten guys, you know, to catch balls in a game. I expect a lot of that. I, I expect that, that Miami's going to come out and say, it's cold, it's snowing. It's windy. We're not gonna. You're not gonna beat us with Le'Veon Bell. You know, you're gonna see eight nine man fronts, and I hope that you know Todd Haley says, "Hey, I got a quarterback from Finley, Ohio." <laughs> you know, guess what? We're gonna throw the football a lot. <laughs> and you know, my number one wide receiver, <laughs> he's played in Pittsburgh now for six years, and he went to college in fucking Upper Peninsula, Michigan. You know, and Antonio Brown. Yeah. And uh, you know this. this we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. We play in rain. We play in sleet. We play in snow. We play on the worst fucking field in all of probably the NFL. And we win championships. Simple. <laughs> it, 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 there's, this isn't a fancy week, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint. Miami Dolphins, you know, goal is to come out and punch us in the mouth. And our goal is to come out and score points and then really pay them back for the punch in the mouth they gave us last time by – you know, breaking off a plunger in their ass, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, maybe Ben throws for seven touchdowns in this game or some crazy shit like that. But if Todd Haley and the Pittsburgh Steelers organization have the opportunity to send a message to the Miami Dolphins, they will so in this game. I promise you. I'm not going to pick that, you know, for my score prediction, you know. Well, I understand but, what you mean. Yeah, I, I got it. You know, if, if the opportunity is to say, hey, you know, we're we're this type of organization for a reason – you know, next time after the game, if you guys get the victory, show some class. You know, don't try to embarrass <laughs> our coaches. Don't try to embarrass our players. Yeah, don't sure. be happy that you took our starting fucking quarterback out. I bet you guys would be really happy if Tannehill was playing this week. You weren't putting that fucking yeah. bum Matt Moore out there. You I mean, know? Here's the th- don't, here's don't be- 
But here's the thing, though. There, I mean, you know, you could talk about the sort of revenge factor of it and and how that comes into play and coaching and all that business. But you know, Miami. Let's not let's not mince words. Miami's has a lot of talent. You know, I think they do. I think uh, you know they have a they have some good players on the offensive line. Maybe not as a unit as good as ours, but but some decent players. They have sure. their edge guys and their corner population probably better than ours. You know. So it's not very close, very close. I'm, I'm a real, I'm, I'm starting to really become a big fan of Artie Burns. And oh, me too. Whatever me too. Corner, he's better than anybody. I mean, he's. I would say Artie Burns is better than anybody they have at corner, but I would say every other corner they have is pretty close to, if not better, than the guys we're putting out. Willie Gay's yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty close, pretty good. He's yeah, still, he's, I think he's still a little bit underrated. And let's say sex. We've done this entire podcast, and we haven't talked about House of Spears yet. Sue. Yeah. True. And if we're being honest, probably front seven, he's either the best or the second best defender going to be taking the field. You can argue him into it, or I mean, Harrison, you know? Yeah. But she's Cameron. That's what I'm saying, though. They got they put out Cameron Wake, Sue. Sure. You know, Jordan Phillips, who's, who actually can play, Mario Williams, who can do that thing he's asked to do in that position. And then they wave in, they wave in Andre Branch, Jason Jones, Terrence Fiday. You know they got some players. That's what I'm saying. They they got some pieces for that 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 aren't chopped liver. Um, you know, if we signed any one of those guys in the off season, you'd be happy. A good number of them. Uh, there's there's other. I mean, I there's certain players I think that you can take a little bit away, like Stu. If I'm Ramon Foster or if I'm DeCastro, I'm dirty to suck with him early because I try to get his ass. You know, out of his game, and maybe even get thrown out of the game. You know, they're. I hate <laughs> to say it. You know, I I, I said about Odell Beckham. That's, I go with a similar type of approach. Yeah. By whatever means necessary, he's he's a great player. Um, and and, and there's other guys. I think that you can exp- expose some limitations in their game. I think the one thing that people are not accounting for is how good Kiko Alonso is in coverage. Mm-hmm. What I think the Dolphins might be doing is overestimating how good Kiko Alonso is in coverage, and they may try to, you know, spread him out there in man coverage against Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, the problem you have is that you're, you're, you're letting one of those safeties that they have, where neither one is very good in coverage, you're leaving them right. with a wide receiver or Eli Rogers. Good luck. And if, if, and if, you, if, if you do move Alonzo, Kiko Alonso over there, let's say the Steelers show a fullback, you know, and the fullback becomes a single back, and they split Le'Veon Bell out, which is something they showed against Baltimore, which absolutely drove Baltimore nuts. Um, you know, the answer is is if you come and you put a safety on Le'Veon Bell off the side of the field, I'm guaranteed man coverage with Antonio Brown. Right. You got unless pro- you're going to roll real problems. Right. That's unless true. you're going to roll the other safety, and then I'm just going to kill you with my tight end. Yeah, I meant and to say, say Ladarius Green or, or the slot guy, but go ahead. Right, and if you do bring Kiko Alonso out there, do you trust Kiko Alonso to cover Le'Veon Bell in space? Good luck. Because Le'Veon Bell can run more than the quick end and run, you know, a go. Le'Veon Bell can actually run a little bit of a route tree to where, uh-oh, I just split your safeties, or even I didn't split your safety. Here goes your free safety. He has to tackle Le'Veon Bell in space. Oh, and yeah, by the way, Le'Veon Bell got a five-yard head start. Yeah. And also, he got the ball in the right hand, and here comes that fucking stiff arm. Huh, who's your daddy? Yeah, I think, you're, I think the Steelers on offense, 
have to be eventually, maybe not, you know, they're prepared to do that this week, but over the development of this offense with the way they're construed right now is they, they do have to try to flatten out defenses, get them to, you know, have the linebacker or, or strong safety split out wide and then work the middle of the field. And that's the thing. They had certain elements of that. They were able to split bell out wide and do stuff with them, but it, they've never, you know, they've never really, I shouldn't say never up until the times when Ladarius green was healthy and maybe Eli Rogers was healthy at the end of the season, they finally started taking advantage of, the, of how that opened up the middle of the field. But, but man, that really, if you, if you, flatten that defense and make them spread out and not be able to have as much protection in the middle of the field and deep, they got problems, you know, no matter what they the weather is. Or who they're playing. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, that's what I say about dictate matchups. And I think that you're not going to see a ton of it from the Steelers this week. And Steelers fans, this might drive them nuts. Is I think the Steelers fans may want to keep it pretty much cut and dry, plain vanilla and get their pound of flesh. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and, and it's just, it's a game where it's nothing like watching a defense break from getting the ball jammed on their eight man fronts throughout. Yeah. Back in the day, you could that's, that was Willie Parker, even Willie Parker and Jerome Bass, especially, where, you know, you, you here comes my eight man front, you ain't going to run the ball on me. Fuck. Second and five. Fuck. Yeah. Third and one. First down. The, the, there's no way of humiliating a, a defense more than you know, running successfully against eight-man fronts. And I'm not talking about blitz packages where you bust one. I'm just saying a smart eight-man front where you have a safety back and you just you, – you should not be able to run on it. You, I, I'm yeah. bringing an extra defender. And, but you know, uh, you know you what's – <laughs> but you know what's even more humiliating than that is when you torture them with you know, impossible to stop uh, spread out game and then – just when they feel like they're trying to slow it down a little bit, then you pound them into submission with the run game. You know, that's, that's, that's New England's formula, you know, is that they do both of these things we were talking about in terms of attacking the middle of the field. Uh, and, and then, you know, whenever you, whenever you finally start to get out on the guys, then they attack you by running the football up the middle. Um, so I just feel like that that's, I'd rather psychologically break them than physically break them in a way because when they, when they break, they break harder, and it's more you know offers you more options for scoring. Uh, I don't have any problem at all with taking their will in the run game, but as we know, uh, and this somebody smart said this to me once: you throw for points and you run to win. That's the playoff formula. Um, yep. So you know you can you can run it all day down their throats, but it's gonna hard, be hard for you to put up enough points to put the game away. So anyway, you know all this. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to our, uh, our around the league and or slash pick segment brought to you by. Wow. See, there's just I'm tired of all these great, great people dying, man. And so I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm Fuck done them for dying, man. Come on. It's no. It's the pick. I'm so I'm not going to go dedicating this to anyone else. But how about this? Um, this week's how about Richard Mann? And let's bring him home a Super Bowl ring. The pick segment is brought to you by the great Richard Mann. By the Richard Mann Get a Super Bowl Ring Committee. Yes. The, the committee to and get Richard Mann a Super Bowl ring. To be, yes. I I'm sure that we could probably get a ton of people that would agree. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think we could too. Uh, first things first. Uh, we'll get to the Hall of Fame in a second. NFL MVP stupidly voted on after the regular season discounting entirely the postseason, which is 
just mm-hmm. dumb in every sport. I don't know why they do that. I guess to just keep it interesting for the people who have really good players on teams that suck. Um, but this year, uh, the the uh, seven favorites in reverse order: Derek Carr is 150 to one. Nope. Le- Le'Veon Bell 100 to one. Dak nope. Prescott 75 to one. Nope. Ezekiel Elliott 75 to one. Tom Brady nope. five to one. Aaron Rodgers seven to two. Yep. You know who's number one? I, it should be Aaron Rodgers award. Oh wait, no, the n- number one is Matt Ryan. Yeah, but I'm saying it should be Aaron Rodgers award. Wow, Even really? Yeah. And I, I, in my opinion, I can explain to you why. I'm going to remove the stats argument. Um, at one point this year, Green Bay was without their starting free safety, strong safety, their starting corner, their other starting corner, their starting nickel. They were down to the sixth and seventh corners. They had two starting offensive guards out, but their tackle stayed healthy, and he had to miss, be missing a center. Um, most viable player to the team in the league, I believe, is Aaron Rodgers. I believe that the Green Bay Packers are probably a two- to three-win team without Aaron Rodgers. Um, I really would – Tom Brady would also be very far up there, but they were 3-1 and one without him this year. I would my vote would honestly go to Aaron Rodgers. I'm not the biggest Aaron Rodgers fan. I am a fan, but I look at what Green Bay would be without him, and there's no way they make the playoffs. And I really don't think they win four or five games without him. Yeah, but okay, the Steelers won one more game. Uh, you got a pretty good look even this season at what they were without him. He was down from the beginning of the season. His number two wide receiver at various points they lost the number three, number four, number five, and number six wide receivers. He was without his starting running back for three games. Uh, he was he he missed uh, their best their best defensive player. Maybe he'd been gone for half the season. Um, I mean, I'm just saying by the argument you just made, uh, it, it's everything you just said about Aaron Rodgers is just as true for for the Steelers, maybe even more so. So I mean, I I agree with it to a degree. I think there's an element of what is your team like without you. There's an element of your play has greatness, uh, and so on and so forth. I don't really know. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure what the award is about. Um, if it's the best player in the league, then, I, you know, all of these skill position players don't even – they're a joke compared to some of the some of the guys who are less heralded who are better football players. Um, but if, it, if it's, if it's uh, some combination of, you know, offensive firepower for a team that was successful and it wouldn't have been as successful without them, then – you know, I have no problem with Aaron Rodgers. I have no problem with Tom Brady. I have no problem with Matt Ryan, even. Um, I, you know, I kind of feel like, the, you know, I don't know. Who am I picking? Uh, do I have to nail it down? I, I guess I'll go with Matt Ryan. I don't, I hate giving it to a dome guy. But, you know, he had a real outlier statistical season for a team that, you know, want to buy, uh, which is something that, you know, Rodgers or, Bell and, and Roethlisberger didn't do Derek Carr, so I guess I'll say Matt Ryan. I'll, I'll, I'll bite my tongue and say Matt Ryan. I'm not sure that Matt Ryan has ever. I know he has never really done anything in the postseason, and I don't expect that to change this year. So, did you hear me? Did he? Oh, actually, Seattle beat them. He sure did. They he had them Seven beaten. Nine Seattle. No, he had them beaten, but Seattle came back and won the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you I don't wasn't. Correct. Se- that was it wasn't seven nine Seattle. Seattle. It, was the, it was the next season. It was the first season for Wilson. 
but they, okay. they he won he he engineered a, a a drive to take the lead with no almost no time left, and Seattle came back and won. I think is what happened. Um, so anyway, enough about that. The Hall of Fame um, for you know the last ten years, the narrative has been there's a big backlog of players. They should just have one you know, NFL, uh, Hall of Fame awards where they have unlimited numbers of people that they can put in the hall that year or at least more because otherwise we're going to have this tremendous backlog of blah-de-blah. Then you get this year's class of finalists who includes like two really good football players like WTF. <clears throat> we're going to disagree. <laughs> I can already tell you. We're going to disagree. Continue. Okay, good. Hit me. <laughs> tell you about Sally. Uh, you there? Me, yeah, me personally, Tony Baselli is a really good player. The, the Hall of the very, very good, maybe a borderline oh. Hall of Famer. Then, we're, then I'm ready to pull Lynn Swan out. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to pull out Gail Sayers. I don't want to hear nothing about no fucking Terrell Davis. Because I, you, I think you're saying the knock on Baselli is short. It's career. His peak was short. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying his peak was short. I'm just saying his career was short. He only played seven years. He made six Pro Bowls in those seven years. He was first team ONFL six years. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, he was dominant for a short period of time. Okay, I buy that. Sure, I'll I'll give you Tony Baselli. Keep going. Um, okay, okay. Um, Alan Fanica. Flawed, but. You know, had had three or four years of dom- domination. Yes, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I have no problem with Alan, Alan Fanica. Alan Fanica's not in. We better be pulling Warren Sapp out because well, Alan all, Fanica. All, no, no, he better. I, I'm just okay. I look at it more like this. This is what this is how it struck me. How it struck me was uh, the players that were not in the finalists who are more deserving than most of the guys on the finalist list. This is what troubles me about it. Okay, Does that make I mean, sense? to a point. How about this? Do you think Terrell Owens is a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I can pick. Oh, can I? Can I pick the requisite number of? I mean, how many? They're allowed to pick how many of these guys? Five. I've forgotten uh, what the a rules total are. Total six. One was the Veterans Committee, and I have no problems with Kenny Easley going in from Seattle. Well, and there's also it's not just that. There's there's no. Um, sorry, my I gotta turn it off or just play music. Um, no, it's uh, you know the veterans commitment committee and also the contributors. They all they all count towards the total number of people that can get in in a given year. I think. Right. So I you, think it's a can... total of seven maximum. This year they went with six because they didn't. They don't have a contributor. They uh, this went with uh, Kenny Easley from the veteran. I don't think they have a contributor this year. And they have five players. I think you can get out five players, one from the veterans, and one contributor. Right. Okay. So. So if you're going to have five guys, I yes, can I find five guys on there? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But I just think there's just a lot of guys missing. I, I, you know, I like Kenny Easley. I thought that once again, like Boselli, very short career. Donnie Shell should be in before him. How about it's that? ridiculous. Donnie Shell did twice, right. had twice the career that that Kenny Easley had. I just don't understand that kind of reasoning. You Dick know, LeBeau like, having to wait till 2013 to get in is another joke. You yeah, know, he was second in the all-time interceptions list. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, 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 what I'm saying is, like, people are saying that there's not five worthy guys to put in there this year. And I don't think necessarily think Fanica's actually one of the worthy guys. I don't think Kurt Warner actually deserves to be in. I don't think oh. he meets my criteria of five great years. I think he had four great years. 
But wow. if they, if somebody, if, they, if he got voted in, I'd be all right with it. I know, yeah, I, think, I know, I, I know. I think his, you know, from his standpoint, it's like he, once again, it depends on if you're IC or you're your B two B. If you're Iron City, you you value the you know regular season results. Um, not only the same, but actually more than postseason results because the, you play more regular season games and it, it re- reveals the players that are really good. Blah, blah, blah. If you're Bradshaw to Ben, you value postseason. You value regular season results, but you value postseason results as a premium on top of whatever else is going on that that, that matters to me. And the thing about Kurt Warner is postseason, he was one of the great postseason performers at any position in the history of the league. So from that standpoint, I give him. He had, I'm going to say that that Kurt Warner had five really good years, and I'll tell you what they were. He was uh, 13 and three with the Rams. They won the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. He he was, uh, or no, 13 and three with the Rams. They lost the Super Bowl to Tennessee. Um, no, because- oh no, they they won. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, lost New and, England. Yeah, eight eight and that's what it was. 99. They lost to New England, right? I don't know. Thirteen and three, uh, with a one hundred and nine point two passer rating, um, forty one touchdowns. That's obviously a great season. That was his first full season in the league. Uh, eight and three, but he was uh, once again threw for thirty five hundred yards, had twenty one touchdowns, passer rating of uh, of ninety eight point three. Still pretty good. Set his all time high for yards per attempt at nine point nine for a season. Not bad. Uh, next season. Okay. 14 and two, uh, once again went to the Super Bowl, 101.4 rating. Then his, his last two years in, in Arizona had a 96.9 rating, 30 touchdowns, 4,500 yards for a nine and seven team. Next year they went 10 and five. And that by the nine and seven team, by the way, is the one that lost the Super Bowl barely to the Steelers. And then he, mm-hmm. he had a, you know racked up another 93.2 rating uh, for you know 10 and five playoff team before he retired. Uh, that had you know that just got knocked out unexpectedly. That's five pretty damn good years. Completely agree. Also, um, holds three, the few playoff records. By the way, that's yeah. four all, four Pro Bowl years, two All Pro. Yeah, so, I go completely, ahead. I, he 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 holds a couple playoff records, I believe, including the worst defeat ever in the playoffs. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't his fault. I it's uh, he was a quarterback for the Giants. That was in between yeah. the ramps, and oh, I remember that. Oh my God, I bet I remember. I bet the over under, and uh, I think the Giants got shut out, and I was worried. I bet the under that the other team was going to get to the over by themselves. I'm trying to remember who it was because all oh, they lambasted the Giants in the playoffs. It might have been like the Redskins or somebody like that, but it's. You know, I think it was like 48 nothing. I remember this. I remember Tom <laughs> Coughlin on the sidelines. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Coughlin almost died during that game. I think he had a, yes, he did. He literally issue. almost did. He was probably considering going back to his Jacksonville ways of like, no coaches can wear sunglasses. It shows weakness. No, it shows I don't want to be fucking blind when I'm 50. But yeah. yeah. So by the way, Kurt Warner in the postseason, just to leave it a lot. One last Kurt Warner note for you. Nine and four in the playoffs or postseason. 31 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, 102.8 rating. Solid. Yeah. Very solid. <laughs> That's pretty damn hard to beat. Uh, anyway, okay, enough about Kurt Warner. Um, so uh, 
Uh, you, uh, what, Morton Anderson, that's the last thing about a Hall of Fame kick, you know, for Morton Anderson being, he's, if you're going to put a kicker in, he's a, he's a fine kicker to, to put in, I guess. Even though it was right. a dome guy. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, they, yeah, they're a part of the game, so I'm not as anti kicker as some people. You know if Jerry I mean? Jones, so, if Jerry Jones can become a semifinalist, certainly, certainly Morton Anderson right. can become one. Uh, anyway, okay, enough. Bobby Bathard was in a semifinal. You want to talk about criminal? Yeah, that's not good. I think there's a he's one of those cats. He's the people don't there's something in the NFL circles they don't like him. You know what I mean? Yeah, he liked to surf and smoke pot, and he didn't <laughs> do shit. You know the classic way. <laughs> do you have his poster up on your wall? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I would like to. Uh, all right, four playoff games this weekend. Three of them are with teams that we don't care about so much. But um, Houston, Oakland, at one time, this would have been a reasonable matchup with, you know. Should, we should be Houston paid to with, watch it. Houston, you know, Houston somehow has a top 10 defense without J.J. Watt um, on smoke and mirrors, kind of. I'm impressed, actually, with what they do defensively. Some of that they is they play really the bad dominant, teams. They have the most dominant edge player in the NFL over the last month. And uh, J. Devon Clowney. I know that's hard yep. for a lot of people to believe. Oh, boy. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. And uh, they, that defense is not – I don't know how they do it <laughs> in a way. It's like that type of thing. You know, where yeah, it's like, that's me too. Same okay, thing. They have Clowney and – they have Clowney and – oh, Vince Wolfert, but he's 70. But <laughs> they, they manage to stay in games. I just uh, – I really honestly believe that I should get a credit on my cable bill for like $5 <laughs> if, I watch that, if I watch that football game. Because is, is it going to be like Tom Savage versus Brock Osweiler? Or excuse me, Brock Osweiler starting because Savage is out, I think. Yeah, although Savage. Oakland, it's going to be uh, Connor Cook. Yeah, and by the way, first hey. time in NFL history, if Connor Cook starts, first time in NFL yeah. history that a player is – a quarterback has started his first game in the in the first game. Yeah. <laughs> That's like Matt Murray, you know. It wasn't quite, but just about was his, you know, his first start. Anyway, um, hey, the uh, Houston, just you know, Football Outsiders power rankings, which I think are, you know, on DVOA that's adjusted for every play call. Like in other words, three yards on third and thirteen doesn't you know is a negative play for you. Three yards on on fourth and one is huge. Uh, sure. You know, like they 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 take into account everything on every play and game situation and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so I, I I like to use their stats better more than the NFL stats. Houston overall, twenty nine bet twenty ninth best team. They are twenty one point four percent worse than the average NFL team in two thousand sixteen. <laughs> but that's because their offense is thirtieth. Right. Their offense is the same, basically. You know, um, t- minus twenty one point four percent below the you know, below the average, their defense is seventh in the NFL. So they have one of the best defenses in the NFL and just about the worst offense in the NFL. So, you know, I'm not sure how they are. I don't even sure how they won their division, to be honest with you. Uh, but, play in the AFC South. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's where we're at, right? But um, so that being said, you know, you know Connor Cook better than I have. I mean, you want to pick this game. What do you? What, is there a chance here that uh, Connor Cook? He has he has the better team. I think does does he, he does. have enough? Does he have enough to win this game at Houston? 
As nutty and as crazy as this sounds, I will take Connor Cook over uh, Brock Osweiler. And I know that sounds nuts, considering, you know, that this can be his first start. I just look on paper, Texans D versus the Raiders D, Texans at home. With that, I'll call it a little bit of a push. It's really close to being a push. Um, people forget Oakland's D whenever they have to. They, they're pretty good. You know, they got a pretty I guess good pass they're, rusher. They're 23rd in the – I mean, has to think by that same standard. They're the they're right. inverse teams. Oakland's is seventh offense, and that was with Derek Carr for most of the season. Right. And 23rd on defense. So, it's you know, it's a pretty fair matchup between these teams, to be honest it with you. It is. And Lamar Miller being dinged and Alfred Blue, and then you look, you know, at the Raiders where, you know, they got, you know, Murray and Richard and Richardson. So they're backed by community. Wide receivers, I would favor the Raiders. Offensive line is what is going to be the deciding factor for me. Um, I think that the Raider, that the Raiders' offensive line will have more success running yeah. the ball versus the Houston front seven than Houston's offensive line is going to have running the ball against the Raiders front seven. I think it'll be an ugly game. Probably 15-9 Raiders on five field goals <laughs> versus yeah. Houston's three I, field goals. I don't know. It's one of those games that, on you know, I, I kind of feel like it'll be an I entertaining game. I think be the deciding factor in the game is the way I look at it. And Andrew, how and do you guess that? Yeah, and if it, it's, that's happening, I'm going to guess it's Oakland special teams versus Houston's, which are not so good. Sure. But, I mean, I'm, I kind of think that it's a close game. I think it's. I think this will be actually one of the two most entertaining games of the weekend um, because I don't think either team is that good, but I think they're also, because they're not good, they're capable of making mistakes on defense, and that yields some Entertaining too. in the same way as it would be like watching two retards beat each other with football wall bats. If the <laughs> no, like, type of entertainment be, you're talking super, about. If they were really, really incompetent. I mean, here's the thing. Exactly. I'll, give perfect, I'll give you a perfect example. Cleveland Browns in week 17 against the Pittsburgh Steelers with Landry Jones, a quarterback, you know? So it's, it's like the first half of that game uh, was still a game that were, well, how many points were scored? 21 points, you know, or something more. So I could imagine two halves of football like that. So I'm, I'm putting the over under at 40 and a close game. That that's, that sounds fairly entertaining to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're bad. I don't think it's going to be great. Maybe Connor Cook surprises. I mean, let's put, okay. Last question about this game: Which uh, team do you want to win in terms of what they'll do to New England? You know, we don't think. I don't think either one of us thinks the winner of this game is going to beat New England in New England next week. But if the Steelers, right. are, I think are the Raiders. Good, I think the Raiders. Win, what they want to see? If I look at it, I would. The way I look at it is the Raiders. I think have the better chance. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just had someone pop in here for a minute. Oh, sorry. Um, I, lost, I lost you. No, 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 you're fine. I, I didn't hear your question. I'm sorry. Uh, the question was, uh, you were in the middle of answering, I think, about the Raiders. Which one would be better for the Oh, I think the Raiders could actually do. I think the Raiders are a far more dangerous team for against New England because you have the, you know, Irvin and, you know, you have Khalil Mack coming off the edge and you have the ability of Oakland to maybe run the ball successfully against New England. I mean, it's. I don't think that Houston really has anything for New England. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take I'm going to take Oakland by a narrow margin uh, in this game. 
to win a close one, an entertaining one. I guess I'll put my money on entertaining and cross my fingers and send Oakland to New England and see if they can see if at least, you know, maybe they can get to Tom Brady a couple of times and shake him up. Um, that would, I'd almost settle for that. I'd rather that they win, but, you know, uh, making Tom Brady wonder when the end of his career is going to be, would be a second best. Um, so uh, let's Seattle, Detroit, uh, Detroit, uh, you, you, you talked about, you're not really, we're not really sure how Houston won their division and you're not really sure how Houston's defense is doing it. How is Detroit doing it? I, th- I think they, I don't think they're good at all. And yet they're here not. they are in the playoffs and they're going to go to Seattle. Are they going to get spanked there? I don't think they're going to get spanked because I don't think Seattle has the ability to spank anybody without Earl Thomas. Um, I think that Seattle will have success. I don't think Detroit's a, a very good team defensively. I think they've had a few good performances. Um, and offensively, you know, I I just don't think Anquan Bolden is going to be able to make enough plays because Golden Tate is just hit or miss for Detroit. He's either sure. – you know, um, and Anquan Bolton is actually the guy that's making the money plays for them a lot. You know, um, Eric Ebron um, is having ball security issues. Matthew Stafford with the bad hand. I think Seattle probably wins the game by at least 10 points. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think Seattle covers. It just feels like Seattle, for all their flaws, you know, lo- losing all time is big, big deal and probably impacts their chances of, of you know, really going to the Super Bowl or something. But they're built for playoff football. They they know how to get the job done. All those same characters are there, uh, you know, with the exception of Thomas. So it's, it, it just feels like they, they may have their flaws, but Detroit doesn't seem prepared for playoff football in the same way that Seattle is. And you just saw the end of that game with Green Bay. Green Bay kind of cranked it up a little bit, and Detroit folded, you know, like Carson Palmer. So, you know, I like Seattle to cover. Um, speaking of, of Green Bay, uh, at Green Bay, and this might be the hardest game to pick for the whole weekend in terms of expectations. It's your Green Bay Packers, four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Giants. Um, the Giants have not only won their last two playoff matches with Green Bay, they've won them in Green Bay and gone on to win the Super Bowl twice. So maybe for, for Juju's sake, maybe you want Green Bay to win. <laughs> uh, and maybe you think they will, but... Uh, the Giants' defense would be the best defense that Green Bay has played in a, in a while. Uh, what do you think happens in this game? Healthy Jordy Nelson. Healthier, pretty close to being healthy, Randall Cobb. Healthy Devontae Adams. Healthy Geronimo Allison. Healthy Jerry Cook. Aaron Rodgers getting close to being healthy. Very cold weather. I think the Packers are not only going to beat the Giants, I think they're going to beat them pretty bad which a lot of people are going to disagree with. You're not going to be able to blitz Packers and have success and beat Aaron Rodgers. He's too smooth. He's too skilled. He's too smart. He's seen it all. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Giants might have might struggle some putting up points in this game, and therefore the possibility of Green Bay running away gets better. Um, you know, if you can't score points early and they're able to score points early, it changes the nature of the whole game. But I don't. I think Green Bay is going to struggle to score, score points against the Giants. Um, and and the thing is, Green Bay's defense is pretty flawed. It's like if there was ever a team that the Giants could score against, uh, it would be the, the Green Bay Packers, who at times have, have looked uh, like a sieve on defense, uh, and other times they've done just enough. I don't know. I mean, for me, for my money, I'm taking 
a close game in this. I'm saying I'm, I'm taking the Giants to cover and the Green Bay to win, uh, which I know, being being the betting man that he is, FC is really uh, uh, going to take that into account. Unfortunately, we lost him for a minute, so while I wait for him to come back, uh, I will see if there's any. We just you know bad timing because now we've reached the end of our round the league pick segment. Um, Geez, only talking about uh, what else can I talk about? The the college national championship game for a second while I have it, Clemson Alabama, because uh, I know you're just dying to hear uh, good old B two B's take on that. Um, you know, it just feels like the two, uh, you know, just getting tiresome to see the same two teams in there again. The way their system is constructed, I guess we're just going to keep seeing that, but. Um, Wonder if Clemson maybe has a little uh, surprise to pull out against Alabama, uh, and that they might uh, end up uh, surprising, shocking the world. Because I think everyone thinks at this point it's a foregone conclusion for for Alabama. So, so be it. Uh, that is on Monday night. God, I'm uh, gonna gonna be filling time here while I wait for FC. I need him to come back so we can get out of this. Um, let's see. I don't even have a caller to take or anybody to chat with. Come on, guys. Killing me here. Um, so uh, what else didn't we talk about that we could talk about? Here we go. He's he's back. Are you, you made me panic there. I was having to fill at a time where I have nothing nothing to go to now that we're done with our pick segment. I picked the – by the way, I picked the Giants to cover but not win. There you go. I know you would like is the inveterate better degenerate that you are. Uh, so that, that finishes up with our round the league pick segment. That brings us around to discussing your Pittsburgh Steelers against Miami Dolphins. It's a five-star matchup for real because we're in it and it's a playoff game. That's at Heinz field in the wintry weather. It's going to be fun. Uh, I will go first. Your Pittsburgh Steelers not only have a little bit of a score to settle with Miami. Um, I, I think the teams are both radically different than they were. Uh, than they were at the time they played last time. So first of all, Miami was the healthy team uh, rounding it up. Steelers had some injury issues for that game. You know, I, I just feel like they're they're different now. Steelers are on a little bit of a roll, and I'm hoping to see them continue that for this playoff game. They have no reason to come out flat. They have every reason to, you know, want to get exact some revenge against Miami. Playing at home in the winter, wintry weather with – all their pieces back more or less, except for, you know, Mark Davis Bryant. So from that standpoint, I think the Steelers are going to win this game. Um, I I don't know that it's going to be easy. I think Miami has a chance to keep it closer than we would like. Uh, It's playoff football and the the elements may may keep the score down a little bit. I'm going to go with Steelers 28 to 22, which is a very, uh, it's like a score that computer generates when it spits out the numbers. Uh, but I'll I'll say your Steelers are going to win 28-22 in a game where it's not quite as close as the score would, the final score would indicate. But your Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win and move on and go to Kansas City FC. What do you have to say? Uh, I don't disagree. Um, I think the Steelers are going to win 28-17. Um, that doesn't mean, necessarily mean four touchdowns. The way they're going to get to 28. Um, I think the Steelers are going to be cautious. I think they would like to really, you know, put a thumping and get some payback on the Dolphins. And if it, the opportunity is there, I think they will take advantage of it. But uh, at the end of the day, 
Um, this isn't about revenge. This is about moving on to the next round and trying to move along to the next round by keeping players healthy. Um, ben will do enough to uh, punch us into the end zone. Um, my my concerns obviously are, you know, and they have to be, is J.J. running the football. Uh, the Steelers are going to have to set the edge. They're going to have to win, you know, the, the battle at the line of scrimmage, control the line of scrimmage. Um, other than that, you know, no turnovers, no mental mistakes, and, uh, you know, they should move on to next week. <laughs> it, it, it sounds plain, simple, and easy. I mean, but playoff if only football. Were, if only it were that easy, man. Right. Playoff football, a lot of times, is easy. You know, um, a lot of times it comes down to one or two plays, you know, one or two mental mistakes. It's not always that way. I mean, we we brought up the Kurt Warner Super Bowl. I mean, San Antonio Holmes, you know, made four or five plays in one drive. And, you know, you have a catch and you have a Super Bowl win. You know, at the end of the first half, you have James Harrison with that interception. It's a play. So it's up a win, you know, and – you know, you have to make plays. You can't make mental mistakes. can't make mental errors, pre-snap penalties. You know, if there's a face mask, you know, I, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. But, you know, if it was a guy trying to aggressively make a play, things happen. And uh, I, I just – turnovers and stupid, silly mental mistakes and field positioning a lot of times can be what determines these games. And, uh, you know, the Steelers don't have a ton of – experienced winners left, you know, from the prior Super Bowl teams. And, you know, this is where Ben, you know, he has to be the leader. He has to, you know, say, boys, jump on my back. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the time to uh, teach the players that don't have winning playoff experience what it means to, to be a championship football team, right? So right. that's the job. Um, excellent. Final thought for you. Or maybe that was it. No, my final thought is be the hammer, not the nail. And, uh, <laughs> you know, don't don't let Miami come into Pittsburgh and out physically. No. No, I'm with you. Um, my final thought is simple. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers have played in 57 postseason games before this one, uh, and they have 134 of them. And I'll bet you that even the most diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan couldn't name the score or the margin of victory in five of those games because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all. If you have – all I know is that 34 out of those 57 games, we had one more point than the other team when the clock went to zero, uh, and that's all I really care about this week. Uh, so style points stopped mattering. Nobody's voting for MVP anymore in the league or, or any other kind of awards except for the one they give you that's silver that looks like a football with a thing in the bottom of it, uh, and that's the one we're after. So uh, on that note, get one more point in Miami, and uh, let's talk again next week after a gigantic Steelers postseason victory. FC, thank you very much, sir. I'll talk to you after a uh, big, big win. Big, big Jim. Big win. There you go. Go Steelers. Go get them, Steelers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.